you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, we finished chapter 1 tonight. Our journey has already been seven weeks here in Genesis chapter 1, tonight being the seventh week, so the week of completion uh, for Genesis chapter, chapter 1. And tonight we find the creation itself completed. Now, first thing comes to mind, most people look at it, well, you know, Adam's going to get created in chapter 2. Well, this is really kind of the summarized version of it, and the details are added in in what we call chapter 2. Also, draw your attention once again. Remember, these words were written originally, uh, credited to Moses. It's likely that he had these passed down to him uh, via, via oral tradition, because obviously nothing was written and collected until after the flood, all of these events, no one was there to see them, so God transmitted them likely to Adam, oral tradition from there till Noah, from Noah transmitted orally and then probably written down after the flood and then given to Moses, and Moses becomes the compiler. So the first five books of your Bible, the Pentateuch, were actually authored by Moses but contained all of these words that were authored thousands of years before Moses' life. So when you look at these, they were written in scrolls originally, and because they were written in scrolls, they would have not had chapter and verse, they wouldn't have had page numbers, those types of things. And so sometimes we see, uh, in an attempt to make them clear, that there are also things that we could say, well, we probably could have done that a little bit differently. Uh, from a linguistic standpoint. One of those happens here in chapter 1, and that is an unfortunate chapter break uh, that happens in verse 31. Really, it should uh, have been probably in what we call verse 4 of chapter 2, where it explains this is the history of the generations of the universe. And so uh, while it's not an important thing from the standpoint of the understanding of the passage, it does actually help us with the conclusion uh, to chapter 1 when we think about the six days of creation and then some explanation that comes additionally in chapter 2. So as we pick up tonight in verse 26, uh, we'll finish up here in Genesis chapter 1. And creation is completed finally. And so would you join me in prayer to ask the Lord to speak again through his wonderful word. Father, again, we have just come tonight, uh, Lord, from a wonderful day. Uh, here at this church, and maybe an afternoon where we had some rest, and we've come back to your house to hear your voice, to listen to your word, and Lord, to be instructed by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would uh, take your word and make it alive again to us, that we would know the truth that's contained deeply within these words, authored by the Holy Spirit, written down by men of old, and recorded and transmitted to us, so that we might know the truth about the creation. We bless your name. Pray that you would bless us with your spirit's presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 26, and then God said, let us make man in our image. Now it's really important uh, as we draw attention to the creation of mankind, a couple of things that are different than anything else that has thus far uh, been part of the creation. We are going to see God using plural pronouns to describe himself uh, as a plurality. In other words, he's using the phrase or the word our image, our as in plural, more than one, not just God the Father, not just God the Son, not just God the Spirit, but the totality of the Godhead. And this is extremely accurate. 
uh, from the best manuscripts that we have, according to our likeness. And so it becomes very evident that there is something special about the creation of mankind. I also want to draw your attention again, and we'll look at this as we go through this passage, that God is going to take and make man out of the same substances that he makes all the rest of, of the animal life on this earth. In other words, our bodies are constructed of the same material uh, that all other animals. You're mostly carbon and some phosphorus, and you're a little bit of oxygen and nitrogen and a whole bunch of H2O, a whole bunch of water. Uh, you're made out of the same thing as all other animal life. And so you're going to see the word created used three times in this particular passage of Scripture, again pointing to a bara or a creation from something that does not exist. But you're also going to see that we are made. So God is making us out of the stuff of the earth, but he's going to do something. It is extremely unique with mankind that does not exist in any of the rest of the creation. And so look for these things as we go through the passage here. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so man's original destiny and man's original job was to have dominion over the earth. And that word means dominion does not mean destruction. And so God never intended for mankind to destroy the creation as mankind has actually done. Uh, and so in that sense, God was very much ecologically minded. While he would have not been classified in, in our modern sense, uh, someone who was, uh, was a, an environmentalist because our day and time, an environmentalist is someone who very often cares more for the environment than we do for people. And so that is not how God views this, but he does view mankind as having been given charge or stewardship over the totality of the surface of the earth, everything on it. We were supposed to take care of it. We were not supposed to destroy it. And so man has gotten at least, a, I would say, a D minus uh, in the area of stewardship. And so God created man in his own image. Now you notice that he switches from making man, or asa, a different Hebrew word there, to creating bara, making something that has not previously existed. It is a completely new creation. And the reason it's a completely new creation is man is not like all the other animal life on the face of the earth. There are some uniquenesses about us that animal life in no other form uh, contains. And so he says now that we have been created uh, in his image. In the image of God, he created him. He repeats this, and notice male and female, he created them. So there are three separate uniquenesses that are called out here uh, in verse 27, creating man in his own image, He's creating him in the image of God, so there's something unique about his countenance and his character. There's something unique about his own uh, physical body. There's something unique about the genders uh, that are being created as well. And then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And so as we dig into this tonight, we'll see that man's basic calling on this earth was to take care, to take charge of the earth, 
to have industry, in other words, to make good use of it, God has always been uh, intended that, or God has always intended that mankind would be a, a good steward and to have dominion, that man would ultimately be the authority uh, as far as the, the created earth is concerned. And over the dominion of the fish of the sea, so I take, this is the fisherman's verse right here. So if you happen to like fishing, God told us to take dominion over the fish of the sea. Over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. And so as we discussed previously, it is extremely important that unlike evolutionary, uh, the evolutionary tree, in other words, when you look at animal life coming from a blue-green algae and progressing all the way to the highest ordered thing, which would be mankind, uh, along the way, somewhere in there, all the plant life also developed. But God, in his infinite wisdom, creates a planet uh, that is fully ready for his number one creation, and that is us, humankind. Uh, and so he's created a fully functioning planet. He didn't allow for billions of years for seeds to develop and, and mutate and turn into other species of plant life. Uh, he simply creates three different types of plant life. There are the same three types of plant life that exist on, on the face of the earth today. Monocotyledon, dicotyledon, uh, and so he, he's, he's looking at these things, things that have seeds within them, things that produce seeds themselves, and things that we would call herbs and grasses. And so the plant life is there for the food of mankind. And also to every beast of the earth and every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was, for the first time, very good. He's previously said that it was good. He now adds in, in in essence, an exclamation point. He said it's more than just good, it is very good. In other words, it's excellent. The word could actually be substituted in there in, in in some sense, you could say, that he's really trying to say that it couldn't be done any better, that it was perfect. Very good. And so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And so he's going to have some differences here, and we'll look at those in a second. So God completes his creation. The world is fully prepared for human, uh, the arrival of mankind. And as, as, as a evolutionary geologist would look at it, or an ev- evolutionary paleontologist would look at the fossil record, uh, there, there's, there's some discrepancies here, because your Bible says, Uh, very clearly that God created all of this in six literal days. An evolutionist believes that, at least as far as the earth earth is concerned, uh, that the earth itself was formulated sometime around 4.6 billion years ago, and and that life as we know it uh, emerged on the surface of the earth about a billion and a half years ago, and and that mankind uh, probably hasn't been around as we know it since we came from apes, Uh, except maybe as much as three million years ago. And so from that standpoint, uh, we have to choose whether we're going to believe God or whether we're going to believe a bunch of people who really come to a conclusion based on an explanation that really just supports their worldview. In other words, they don't believe that there is a God. 
I have no problem believing that God did everything exactly as he said in six days. And quite frankly, I don't think he actually needed all six days. People say, well, you know, that's just impossible. Well, if you're God, nothing is impossible. Your Bible actually says that. With God, there is nothing impossible. And so not only is God able to do these things, he is a perfect explanation for what we see because of all the things that we've previously discussed that can't be explained through natural means. And so when you start breaking this down, uh, the second chapter of Genesis is going to go on and give us some fuller details of these events that are actually on the sixth day. But the sixth day now, at least in the synopsis, has been completed. And notice a couple of things. He says, let us make man in our image. The word God there, translated in verse 26, is the plural form of God. So the singular form, El. So whenever you see El Shaddai, that means God who is mighty or hero God. El is the singular form of God. Eloah means two or, or a multiple. Elohim means plural. It, it's two or more. And, and so in this case, Elohim, which is two or more, is saying, let us, as in the plural pronoun, more than one. In other words, he, he's kind of saying he's having a conversation with other people who are him. And that's exactly what he's doing. Because we believe that God exists in three persons. And so when you read this, and then God, plural, Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, said, let us, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, make man in our, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit's image, according to our, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit's image, you get the picture. He's, he's saying something very specific by the usage of these pronouns. And let them, who's the them? He's created mankind with two genders. There's a man and there's a woman. So he uses the plural form. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air. And, and so he's really saying, look, everything that's on the earth, we really put on the earth for mankind. Not to destroy and not to, get this, kill. And there's a couple of things. I'm going to say some things tonight that are going to send some of you home just stomping mad and angry. Um, and, and, and I'm going to tell you just straight up, there's nothing I can do about it because you probably have a view uh, that came from your feelings rather than what the Bible says about animal life. Uh, and so just forgive me ahead of time. I'm going to say it anyway. Because you need to know what the Bible says, not what you think, or not what you like it to say. So I'm going to share some things with you as we go through the evening that are probably going to twist a few of you tonight. Man is superior in every way, shape, or form to any and every other animal on the face of the planet. That means that everyone who loves dolphins and whales as much as they love people has the wrong view of the creation. Everyone who loves animal life as much as you love people has the wrong view of creation. Everyone who thinks that a dog is equivalent to a human being has the wrong view of creation. Because there is nothing that is the similarity between an animal and God like there is between man and God. 
We are the only animal on the face of the earth in that sense because we were also formed out of the dust of the earth. So in that way, made out of the same things that all other animal life are made out of. But we are the preeminent species on the planet and God intended it to be so. So there are a lot of people that kind of think, you know, well, my dog Fifi is just the same as anybody else's child. That's not what your Bible says. You cannot and will not ever be able to make an equivalence between any animal and human beings as far as your Bible is concerned. Now, having said that, do I love my dogs? You better believe I love my dogs. Matter of fact, I spoil my dogs rotten. Uh, Your dogs probably want to come live at our house because of the spoiling of my dogs. But they're not the same. My dog is not my son. And my son is not my dog. My dog is my dog. As much as I love him. My son is my son. Also created in the image of God. My dog was not created in the image of God. He was part of the creation. As wonderful as my dog is, not the same as my child and never will be. That is what your Bible says. We need to get that right because we live in a world that tries to make an equivalence between all animal life and human life. And that is the very substance of the argument, in essence, for abortion, for the radical environmental views that are prevalent in our society today, that in essence, animals have the same rights as human beings. From God's perspective, animals do not have the same rights as human beings. Does that mean we should mistreat them? Absolutely not. But it also means that we should always give preference, always, 100% of the time, to humankind, not animals. And so when people are starving, we should let the Delta smelt die. When people are going hungry and don't have a place to live, then we take care of people. Now, Hopefully we can do that while stewarding well the surface of the earth. But from God's perspective, people are the center of the creation. Told you I was going to make somebody mad. Your Bible says very specifically these things. So here in these acts, God is immediately Uh, speaking to us in a different way than he's spoken about the way he created animals. And that's the important part here. God is basically having a conversation with himself here in that sense. And by the way, not remotely the only place in scripture that that happens. The second Psalm, verse 7, it says, For I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Again, God speaking of the second part of the Trinity. Today I've begotten you. And ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance to the ends of the earth for your possession. 
Isaiah 48, same picture in verse 16. Come near to me and hear this, for I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. For the time that it was, I was there, and now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. There's the Trinity all in one verse. And so God has constantly had councils in heaven, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, In essence, a corporate Godhead board meeting, if you want to look at it in modern terms. You can, and though it is probably too much of an anthropomorphizing of the situation, you can almost see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit sitting down at a table and having a conversation one with another, talking about in the, in the halls of eternity uh, these things which God would do. And while we cannot fully understand that, it's very clear from our Bibles that in fact God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit do speak one to another. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11, fellowship between um, the Lord God, who is the Father, and the Son is seen in, in verse 26 of Matthew 11. Even so, Father, this is Jesus having a conversation with his own heavenly Father. For so it being, seemed good in your sight that all things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one whom the Son wills him to reveal him. So so Jesus is saying, look, Father God, you know me, and I know you in a way that no one else in the universe does. And so God the Father, God the Son, uh, having a conversation. So it shouldn't shock us. And those divine counsels, actually Revelation 13, remember, as we were looking a couple of weeks ago, as John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Revelation 13 says that Jesus Christ was the lamb before the foundations of the world. So he was actually the lamb of God before we knew him as Emmanuel. When he came to this earth some 2,000 years ago, he was already the lamb of God when he got here. He didn't become anything. He always has been the lamb of God. It's just that we had him revealed to us in the work that he did while he was here. But that, from God the Father's perspective, God the Son's perspective, the Holy Spirit's perspective, was nothing new. That had always been the plan. One of the things that's hard for us to understand is God's sovereign works in the midst of our finiteness. Uh, We look at all things, in essence, from a place of logic and understanding where our human mind gets involved. But from God's perspective, he's had all of your life mapped out before you were even born. And so scripture says he knew your days before there were yet any. That he has counted the hairs on your head. As I've shared with you before, you know, it's like eight for me now. It's no big deal. But God knows how many are up there. I I don't even know how many, but God does. God knows your comings and goings. He, He knows everything about your life. And yet at the same time, he still gives you completely free will. It's mind boggling. That's how good the Lord is. And so in this triune board meeting, God Elohim speaking to himself in essence, this this uniplural Godhead speaking back and forth. And and it's an, an amazing exchange. But those divine counsels are the way God has always functioned. And so he comes up now and he basically says, this is what we're going to do. And he explains it, at least in an outline format. And the first thing that we draw our attention to is that man's not an animal. Man's physical ability and stature, his structure, his mental ability is far more complex than the most complex animals. 
Mankind is capable of things that no other animal is capable of. And, and even in a sense of how God has made us, he's made us unique and infinitely more complex than even the most complex. You know, people are like, well, you know, whales are just like people. No, whales are not just like people. Whales are very intelligent. Whales have the capacity to understand some things within whaledom. But as far as being able to communicate with, with anyone else, they can't do it. They have no ability to learn language. They don't know syntax. They can't understand emotion. There's all kinds of things that whales can't do. Can they react to pain? Yeah, sure. Almost all animals can. But they're not capable of abstract thought. They do not have their gaze continuously uplifted. You ever wonder why man is the only one that can walk on two feet and actually look at the heavens? There's no other animal on earth that can do that, including monkeys. They're incapable. The back of their neck will not allow them to turn their head straight up. In order to do that, they have to turn sideways. Man actually has an upward gaze, can look towards the heavens. There's some very unique things about mankind, even physically. You are capable of abstract thought. You're capable of altruism. You're capable of denying yourself and caring for someone else. You actually can understand morality. In case you didn't notice, animals have no morality, none whatsoever. They're not monogamous. They will breed indiscriminately. And people say, well, you know, the blue-footed booby mates for life. Yes, it does. But it doesn't do that because it is moral. It does that because it's a benefit to them. You see, man is unique in all the heavens. And God created us in his image in a bunch of different ways. Similarly, mankind and all animals have the breath of life in them. In other words, we're living beings in that sense. Many of our organs are the same as they are in, in most other mammals especially. You have lungs, you have a heart, you have liver, you have kidneys. You have miles of blood vessels. You have a, a brain, a central nervous system, all the basic systems. Your thyroid control, controls the chemical reactions. Your pancreas does you know, all those wonderful things of balancing out enzymes and all those wonderful things medically uh, that are similar to animals. And so God, in that sense, made us out of the stuff of the earth, just like all animals are made out of the stuff of the earth. And that's why it says of our bodies... Our bodies will return to the dust of the earth. But God more than just made us, he also created us. And so you, you see this, these two words, made as in asa or created as in bara. And so there are, there are quantitative and there are qualitative differences and distinctives about mankind that are just simply not existent in the rest of the animal world. So for those that say, well, you know, we're just a highly evolved ape, there's no ape on the face of the earth that is capable of abstract thought. They, they, can, they can pick up on things once they're instructed long enough. Yes, they can understand simple commands, but put a book in front of them and ask them to come up with language. They can't do that. Think about welfare and benefit for other animals. Will they do good things? Yes. That's because they can pick up on emotions. Animals can do that. 
but there are things that are unique to us. And so we are not just simply complex and highly organized animals. We are actually created in the image of God with capacities that other animal life do not have. And people will ask, well, what's the difference? The difference is this. Mankind was created as an eternal being. All mankind. And you say, okay, well, where are you going with this, Pastor Jeff? What is the difference? That means every last human being is going to be as God is, and that is eternal. Huge difference. In other words, God has created us because he created us to have fellowship with him, because he created the first man, the first woman, in the garden, specifically walks with them, talks with them, meets with them, and we're going to see them very shortly. He made mankind with a spirit that is eternal. And he very specifically in his word says that he did not create animals with that same spirit. He's given them the breath of life. He's even given them what we would call consciousness. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 21-22 Who knows the spirit of the sons of men? which go upward, and the spirit of animals, which go down into the earth. And so I perceive that nothing was better than that man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage, for who can bring him to see what will happen after him? In other words, there's something unique about the way God created man as an eternal spirit. Animals were not created with that same eternal spirit. Little doubt. And you look at some of the things that are different about us. We have a moral consciousness. No matter how debased a human being is, though there are some that come very close to having no no moral consciousness. Even mass murderers have a tendency to actually like their parents. There is a moral understanding of the world that they live in. Right and wrong. Matters of sexuality. Animals are are not sexually moral. It doesn't make them wrong. It just simply means that they're not like us. The ability to think in an abstract way, to understand beauty, to understand emotion. Can, can, Can my dogs pick up on my feelings? Yeah, sometimes I think they can. But that's because God created them for us. Put them on this planet, in essence, for Adam to have something industrious to do. And that would be to take care of them. And oh, by the way, not eat them. We're going to get to that in a moment as well. And while I'm not a vegetarian, uh, Adam and Eve were created as vegetarians. I know, I told you, you're going to be messed up. You get him. By the time you get home, I can't believe he said that. See, none of these things were part of the animal's nefesh, the, the, the in essence, the soul. This all required a new creation. That new creation is what God just told us. 
In God's image, we have been created. In God's image, he fabricated us something new because God cares. God is eternal. And so he makes mankind in a way that man can care, and man is eternal. In essence, we were made with a physical body. We were made with a consciousness, and now he creates in us the same eternal spirit that he has. Makes us different. As much as we don't like to think on that, and as much, I, you know, I still tell people, you know, if you need your dogs in heaven, they'll probably be in heaven. Because God loves us. You know, I don't know. He, he could bring them back. But as far as what your Bible says, they do not have the same spirit as people. So I'm going to offend every Native American culture. I'm going to offend most of the major world religions. Uh, you know, I'm just going to be in trouble with everybody. But I will absolutely tell you your Bible says that animals do not have an eternal spirit. So made, created, who cares? What's, in essence, what's the difference here? So this term, created in the likeness of God, it, it's just simply that eternal, that eternal spirit. That's that place that we meet God. They that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth, right? Animals can't do that because they don't have an eternal spirit. Only man can do that. That's part of this part of the creation. So as animals that we would call animals on the face of the earth, you have the ability to respond to your touch and Yes, they care that you're there, and they wag their tails when they get home, and they may be able to mimic words. They may even have a small vocabulary of things they can repeat, but they're not going to come up with a plan to rescue you uh, if things go bad with North Korea. That's not going to happen. Not even your Labrador like we have two of. Though they're going to try to do something but they're not going to really be able to use abstract thought to come up with some kind of plan. They just don't have that ability. It's part of what God's given us as humankind. What can God do and what can we do that other things, other animals can't? We see in a very unique way. Most animals, and you probably know this, most animals do not see in what we call full color. Very often they're either colorblind or they see in monochrome. They see either in black and white or in shades of gray. They very often also see in limited colors. They don't see in the same spectrum. Man is the only animal on the face of the earth that sees the way we see. With So what we would say are all the colors of the rainbow. The ability to break down white light into every single color that can be seen. So when you see white light, you see white light. What is actually there is a combination of the entire spectrum. Man actually has the capacity to see those colors. We're the only animal that does that. We can hear. Your hearing is actually so accurate that if it were perfectly silent in here and you had not damaged your hearing like I have done from years of construction and lots of other things like, you know, lighting off M80s in people's mailboxes when you're young, Uh, If you haven't done those kind of things, your hearing is so precise 
that you can hear the rubbing together of a cricket's legs at a hundred yards in perfect silence. God's created you very specifically to be able to do some things that most animals cannot do. Now, do dogs have great hearing? Yes, they do. But their sight is not as good as yours. Their sense of smell is better than yours. But they surely can't speak. As much as you've watched YouTube and you've watched, you know, I rob you. That's some really creative dude who has too much time on his hands getting his dog to do something. That dog has no idea what he's saying other than he gets a bone when he does that. (laughs) Touch. The sensitivity of human touch is unparalleled in the animal world. The things that you can feel with your fingertips, it's monumental what you can actually discern with just the tips of your fingers. So many nerve endings in there. Uh, On the head of a pin, if you take a piece of your skin from the tip of your finger that's the size of a pinhead, there are 25 nerve endings in there, in each and every one. And oh, by the way, they replicate uh, in in such a way that if you lose the feeling in a certain part of your finger, your finger will actually recalculate and recalibrate so that you still have feeling. I have a huge dead spot in mine because I turned the end of my finger nearly inside out, and yet I still have perfect feeling. It's a little sensitive to certain temperatures, those types of things, but your body is unbelievably, fearfully, and wonderfully made, and it's made very much like the Lord made. Uh, The Lord was saying, look, I want you to be able to interact with, with this world in a way that no one else can. I want you to see it better than anyone else can. I want you to smell it uh, better than anyone else can. I want you to understand it. I want you to be able to take dominion and subdue it. You see, if mankind couldn't do these things, he would not be able to take up the commands that are given here. And so God creates us with an erect posture. He creates us with the ability to tilt our heads to the heavens. He does some very unique things. Because when we look up, I don't know about you, but every once in a while I gaze up at the stars and I go, man, you're out there somewhere. You're not going to see an ape doing that. Eyes are down here because this is where all the action happens. For us, all the action happens up there. Because this world is not our home. Our home's up there. And so God gave us the ability to gaze up there. Crazy stuff when you think about it. We're capable of facial expressions. Only animal on earth that can do that. And when I say animal, the only thing that's had life breathed into it that's capable of facial expressions. Sometimes we think our dogs can smile. They kind of have that happy look or that sad look, and that's probably true because they can sense emotions. But you and I, can, we can crank our face in a bunch of different ways. Matter of fact, we don't even have to talk. We can actually just use our face to say things, can't we? Oh, my bride Connie can. She can just look at me and go, ooh, I said something wrong, huh? She goes, yeah. She doesn't have to say a word. I can do the same thing. And so can all of you. You can communicate with facial expression. You're the only animal on planet that can do that and do it with syntax. In other words, an understanding of the system. And you can do it with creativity. 
You can use it for good. You can use it for evil. You can use it abstractly. You can be anybody else in here. When you see little children, do you all of a sudden become like two? You do things with your face that are not normal, don't you? Why is that? Because you actually have expression. You have the capacity to make those weird faces that we all make with babies. That's unique to us. Think about it. God's blessed us. God himself, when he chose to reveal himself to mankind, came as Emmanuel. Amen? God with us. God incarnate in human flesh. He didn't come as flipper. He was not the dolphin man. Not the whale man. Certainly wasn't the monkey man. He was the God man. You see, when God chose to appear, when angels have chosen to appear, what form have they taken? Man. 100% of the time, as far as your Bible is concerned. So we are, in fact, unique. In that sense, you and I, just like God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit are a triunity or a trinity, so are we a triunity. We are a body. We are a soul or consciousness. In other words, we have a mental ability, which is non-material, by the way. It's not attached to anything that is actually you. Those thoughts are stored in a place that we still can't identify, and we are also an eternal spirit. All other animal life only has two of those. We're the only one with all three. So in that sense, we were created just like God, as a triunity. Now, are we God? No. Will we ever be God? No. But one day we are going to be glorified. We're going to be like him because we were created in his image. He's just going to complete the work that he started a very long time ago. He's going to make good on that, on that promise to take us home. The word man, interestingly enough, here in the Hebrew, is actually Adam. And so when you think of earth, earth is actually a Hebrew word, Adama, which is, in essence, when you think of who we are, Mankind is nothing but dirt. That's what we are. We're a part of the actual creation that we're supposed to watch over. But here God uniquely blesses mankind. Check this out. First command to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Now we think of being fruitful and multiply, the obvious implication there is it's pretty clear. He's saying, look, I, I want you to make babies. I want other people that will also be in the image of God. And I want you to multiply, and I want you to fruitfully multiply. And notice what he says, fill all the earth. Now, looking around the room, I'm kind of judging the age of people. There, there are some of us in the room tonight that uh, you were around back in the 60s and 70s at the height and the heyday of the modern environmental movement. And I remember in college, I read a book by Dr. Paul Ehrlich, The Population Bomb. 
Um, it was actually produced by the Sierra Club. It was put forth as absolute fact. And in fact, he went on in that book to say that by the year 2000, he doubted that some of the countries that existed at that time would still exist on the face of the earth because the population would grow so great that we would eat up all the food supply and we would completely destroy the earth so much so that a catastrophe was waiting of literally biblical proportions. Interestingly enough, the first command is to fill the earth. Do you realize that we still haven't even come close to filling the earth? Not even close. Now, do we have an awful lot of people? We absolutely have an awful lot of people. The problem is we actually didn't take up this particular command, which was to fill the earth, not fill little tiny parts of the earth. Because we have filled little tiny parts of the earth in an absolutely insane way. That's not what God said. That was not the original command. God's intent was for us to steward the entire planet. And at the time that he made this command, the entire planet was also habitable, and it was also uh, of such a, an ecological climate uh, that all of it was good, because he says the whole creation is very good. So what man does is doesn't heed this, does not subdue the planet, is not fruitful, and does not multiply. And so we followed after Paul Ehrlich. Uh, he was, by the way, the father of, in, in essence, the thinking that brought to pass the Chinese one-child policy. He's responsible for that. He's a professor at Stanford. I believe he's still alive. I think he's like 85, 86 years, 87 years old. But he came up with this idea that, you know, we had to slow down the birth rate. You know, here in the United States, we are not reproducing our population. We're actually going in reverse right now. Our population will continue to shrink. Somebody doesn't be fruitful and multiply. And yes, I want grandkids. Just saying. No pressure. But you see, what we have done is abused parts of the earth. So we have centers of population like Sao Paulo, Brazil, that have 27, 28 million people in one city. Mexico City, same deal. 30 some, I think it's 35 million people now in Mexico City. Parts of India, so densely populated uh, that people have you know, less than 100 square feet per person. But if you've ever traveled across the middle of the United States, there's a whole lot of dirt with no people on it. You don't have to go but about 90 miles to the east of us. You're going to find a whole bunch of dirt with no people on it. So God was actually giving us some tremendous wisdom here. He says, I want you to subdue it. Have dominion over the, the fish, the birds of the air, every living thing. And then he says, notice verse 29, And God said, See, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree who yields its fruit and has seed, to you it shall be for food. Now, in case you haven't noticed, there's no death yet. Death is not going to come to this planet until Adam and Eve sin. So God being wise, 
says, I'm going to make your food, the things that I've already planted on this earth, and they're going to be plants. In other words, the entire creation, animals included, were herbivores. There was no death. I would imagine that animals, I know man lived because we have the record of it in our Bible. Adam's going to live almost a thousand years. And he was a vegetarian. And I'm going to tell you, this totally messes with my worldview because I love meat. It's like I just can't even imagine. But that's because I don't see God for who he is when I'm thinking about prime rib. Because, see, I I think about how that tastes and how that smells, and I, I think of trying to put broccoli on the barbecue, and it doesn't work for me. And the reason I'm telling you this is this is how our limited understanding uh, of all things that God can do without any reservation. He's, he's not sitting around going, well, you know, it's, it's broccoli, so it can't taste like prime rib. I'm pretty sure there was broccoli that tasted like prime rib. So man doesn't do his job, and so what happens? Man has to end up in a place that man was never intended by God to go. Because death does come into the world. And it changes the complexities of how God is going to deal with mankind. At this point in time, there was a nice little ecological niche that people lived in. And with the stability of the DNA of all that plant life and humankind, there were no birth defects. There was no cancer. There wasn't any genetically modified food sources. Nobody was running around having to worry about petrochemicals in their water. You see, all those things didn't exist. Nor did man have the propensity to kill anything. So man's wandering around, I'm perfectly happy munching on apples and enjoying, I don't know, whether Adam went out in the field and grazed or not. You know, someone, I had a kid ask me that one time, Bible, what was, did, was, you know, were our teeth different? Did we, you know, chew, did we have teeth like cows? You know, I don't know. Ask Adam when you get there. But all those intricate systems that, that our body now needs, which, which we now have different dietary needs than they needed then, uh, they didn't exist at that point in time. And so he says, look, I, I've given dominion over these things. The, the eighth psalm says the th- same exact thing, by the way. And it says of us, you have given him, meaning mankind, dominion over the works of your hands. Put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea. All things that pass through this, pass through the seas. God put that under our care. That word dominion doesn't mean what uh, people think it means in a modern context. It doesn't mean oppression. It surely does not mean destruction. Adam was not out there with, you know, with a cattle prod zapping the cattle because he could he wasn't herding them into pens they were not domesticated actually Jabal actually is the one that does that after the flood and so Adam's just out there wandering around enjoying his time walking with lions and tigers and bears oh my he was having a great time and the lions weren't thinking about eating Adam they were thinking about eating grass well, they don't do that now. Why would they do that then? Verse 29 says something that's, you know, kind of unique. And so 
You know, I got to address this God in veggie burgers. It's God giving this commission to mankind is not every herb like as in go smoke dope, just so you know. This is the pot smoker's verse of choice right here. Oh, God gave us herb, man. That's not what it says. Because he declares very plainly that sorcery or pharmacia, the altering of your mind, is a sin. He's not going to give you something. Adam and Eve were not sitting in the garden listening to John Denver passing the pipe around, okay? It was not like that. They didn't need their minds altered because they were in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The cool of the day, they got to talk to God. That's what Timothy Leary was trying to do with LSD. He, he was trying to talk to the higher power. So Adam actually got to do that without the drugs. So he was not smoking dope, okay? just want to make that clear because people ask me that. It's like, yeah, well, I think, you know, maybe we were. No, we were not. The energy supply was different to the plants. They were, they were better. I just think that, that what God is saying to Adam is like, look, you know, in and out is out. It's not in. You know, double-doubles weren't around at that point in time. It does remind me of a story. There's two guys who get lost in the desert. They're wandering around aimlessly. They're starving to death, and they're about to lie down. And all of a sudden, one of them, George, says, he goes, Hey, Fred, you smell that? And he goes, Yeah. It's bacon. It smells like bacon. Yeah. Renewed hope. They're, they're thinking they're going to make it. They struggle. They're crawling down the sand dune. And in the distance, they can, they can see a tree loaded with bacon. Says, I told you. It's a bacon tree. Said, nah, it's not a bacon tree. He says, yes, we're saved. It's a bacon tree. They get almost there and they're crawling down the face of the last little sand dune. He says, no, 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 wait a second. This could be a mirage. I said, it can't be a bacon tree. So it smells like bacon. Looks like a tree to me. It's a bacon tree. Starts to walk that last hundred miles. Gets up on his feet. He's feeling really good. Starts running, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes machine gun fire, and he's cut down in his prime. He says, "Stay back! Stay back!" He says, "It's not a bacon tree. It's a ham bush." laugh sometimes you know <laughs> I don't know it's amazing how many people it's like I'm supposed to know what everything tasted like in the garden of Eden I am not that old okay <laughs> but we do know that death came into this world through sin and so at this point in time there was no death so nobody was killing anyone or anything after the flood completely different story you want to turn there turn to turn to Isaiah chapter 11 because interestingly enough part of the millennial reign of Christ is a return to the environment that was in the garden of eden so people always say well you know we got gypped I actually feel that way myself. It's like, you know, we ended up with this mess that was already messed up when we got here, and which is partially true. But Isaiah chapter 11 gives us a little bit of a view into what will be the future when the Lord remakes the new heaven and the new earth. And it says there in verse 6 of Isaiah 
chapter 11, and the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. Kind of sounds like the Garden of Eden to me. And this is speaking of the, uh, speaking of the renewed earth, uh, the, new, the new heaven, the new earth, the cow and the bear shall graze. Notice, oops, what does that say? Ah, they're going to be herbivores together. The young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play in the cobra's hole. That's not what most moms do today. And a weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so one day God's going to take care of the mess that we've made out of this planet uh, and you know people and I, I want to be really careful here and clear we we need to do a better job for how much time we have left i don't know how much time i don't think it's much but we should be taken care of because we were given the the opportunity to steward and oversee this earth he gives us a couple of ma- commands he basically says look I, i've given you the the planet and i've made it very good but I want you to take care of it. I want you to introduce, in essence, technology and industry to it, uh, to take what is there and use it for good. Uh, we have not done a great job of that. There's no question there. But man's not ever going to destroy this planet completely, not because I say so, and not because Paul Ehrlich is going to be right ever. Uh, we are not going to be the cause of the destruction of this earth. The Lord himself is actually going to take care of that because he's going to come back and he is going to roll the heavens up like a scroll and he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. But your Bible says in the very last days that mankind's going to go completely ballistic. There's going to be a peace treaty that's made with the Antichrist and for three and a half years there's going to be peace on the face of the earth which right now tonight we can't imagine that. And then all hell's going to break loose on the face of the earth There's going to be death on a massive scale. There will be world wars, but we are not going to destroy the face of the planet because the Lord Jesus is actually going to return. And when he returns, he's going to come back, fight the battle of Armageddon, and then he is going to establish a thousand-year reign on this earth where Isaiah chapter 11 is the order of the day. So God's going to take care of it. We need to take care of our part right now, of course. And so God finishes up this passage by saying, it is all good. There was was no struggle. And I want you to see this. When God finishes the creation, there was no struggle for existence. There was no predation. You know, one animal species was not hunting another animal species. Mankind was not, you know, well, that one tastes better than that one. We, Adam wasn't wandering around the garden going, which one can I eat? No, he's eating what the animals eat. He was having fruit and veggies. And, you know, I, there somehow had to be cheese sauce to go on the broccoli. That's all I can tell you. I, we don't know, but we know this. It was very good. So whatever it was, it was not death. It was not destruction. It was not predation. It was not one species trying to kill another species to make their own life better, the whole creation was getting along. And so in that sense, it was in fact Eden. It was beautiful. 
It was a delight. That's what that word means. We're going to see that in our next study. But he tells us it's very good. What he doesn't say is there's going to be billions of years of animals having to die until we finally get to mankind. There's no indication that there's anything there, especially not death. And so those that try and stick the glacial ages in there, stick the geological ages in there, try and cram millions, if not billions of years in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, or at the end of this chapter and say, well, you know, man was called to replenish the earth. This isn't what it says. It says man was called to fill the earth. The earth was basically void of people. It had plenty of animals. It had plenty of plant life, but it didn't have any people save two. And so Adam and Eve were given the command to steward and care for the earth and to use it wisely and well for the glory of God and for their own blessing and benefit. And so one day God's going to take care of making the earth back into what he intended uh, when Adam and Eve, unfortunately, did what you would have done as well. I always remind people, don't be too hard on Adam and Eve because you probably would not have done any better yourself had you been there. Uh, Even in hindsight, we look back and there must have been something wonderfully tempting about that tree because they gave up everything to take a bite out of that apple or whatever it is. People always say, well, we don't know it was an apple. You're right, we don't. It was a watermelon tree for all I know. It It could have been grapefruit. Who knows? I don't have any idea. And neither does anyone else. But we know this. All they had to do was go out every morning and grab lunch, breakfast, dinner. They didn't have to work. Isn't that crazy? The work came after the fall. Now that you should slap Adam for. There was no working. They wander they lived in Hawaii naked. It's a pretty sweet deal. There are still some people that live in Hawaii that think that they're Adam and Eve. I've seen them. But it's not the same. But one day God's going to take care of that. So those that want to stick death somewhere in this picture, Romans 6.23 is very clear. The wages of sin is death. No one sinned yet, so there was no death. So the gap theory, geological ages were before creation week. It's not a chance because that would have meant that there was death before man came to this world. Day-age theory, progressive creation theory, incorporating those during the week of creation, same thing. You have to have death then before sin. Your Bible is very specific on that. And furthermore, make God into a, into a bumbling monster that he created trillions of animals just to destroy them. He actually never intended for any animal to die. He never intended for man to die. We brought that on ourselves. So, God says it was all very good. We have the end of the sixth day. In the next chapter, we'll pick up some of the details of creating Adam and Eve. And the remainder of the 66 books that we call our Bible is the story of God reconciling mankind back to himself. 
So the first chapter of the book of Genesis is extremely important because it sets the stage for that threat of redemption, which God, before the foundation of the world, just exactly as Revelation 13 says, saw Jesus as the lamb that was slain to take care of that. Amen? Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me? Anthony, the worship team's going to come back out and I'll play a closing song. Some of the pastors will be available. Continue to pray for Houston. As I said this morning, we're going we're gonna to be making some monetary donations to help out the relief effort there. So if you decide that you want to give to that, you can go to our webpage, ccsouthbay.org. Uh, you'll find a link that will help you give directly if you want. You can also uh, write out checks to the church. It will go on your tithe record, and that will just go straight to Calvary Chapel Houston. Uh, to help with the relief work that's going on there. So we'll keep you posted when we're going to start a uh, couple of trips to go down there and rebuild some homes. So let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for blessing us, Lord, with the understanding of what you intended in the beginning when you made us uniquely and fearfully, wonderfully made, is what your word declares in your image. Lord, you made us eternal, You created us to live with you, dwell with you in complete peace with no death, no dying. And Lord, we look forward to that day when we receive our heavenly bodies. And Lord, when one day we're going to get to walk with you just as Adam and Eve did in the cool of the day. We can't wait. In the meantime, help us to live in love like you did on this earth. Lord, help us to give our lives sacrificially for others. We bless your name and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.